Well, it's a big question. What is God like? Probably the most basic question we can ask ourselves as we gather in a church. What we're going to do, though, is we're not just going to share opinions. We're not going to talk to the professionals or take polls. We're going to look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about what God is like. I've been doing a series the last few weeks called God Is. And each week we've kind of fill in the blank with a word or a phrase. You remember we started out saying, talking about the unseen hand of God in the book of Esther. And we talked about the fact that God is ultimately in control of everything. Last week we talked about God being omniscient, a big word that simply means that God knows the past, the present, and the future. He literally knows everything, and perhaps equally important, God remembers what we do. Not only does He know, but He remembers what we do, and as we saw last week, the Scripture promises that God says He will repay us for both the good and the bad things in our lives. Hence, that behooves us to live a life of good works. Now, this morning, I want to begin with a passage in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, uh, those few verses are talking about how people should relate and respond to one another. It is a call in particular for Christians to love one another, and this verse is kind of sandwiched in between. I wish I could have a national audience with this verse as we're talking uh, the next couple days here about Trayvon Martin's case and, you know, as the decisions come out. Uh, I wish we could hear from national leaders and people involved the challenge and a call for people to love one another. I'm deeply saddened by the fact that we tend to take everything in America today and make it a racial issue, a gender issue, something like that. But I want to tell you, at the root of America's needs is a return to God. A, a Christian worldview would teach us that people that are different from us, people have hurt us, people, whatever the case may be, that our response is to be the fact that we're to respond to them in a loving fashion. First John chapter 4, verse 8 picks up this theme. It says, anyone who does not know, anyone who does not love does not know God, and I want you to say this phrase with me, because, say it one more time, just as basic and simple, but the Bible is revealing God's primary nature to us. Now listen, God is, has many facets to His character, His nature, His way of dealing with people, but as you're going to see in the scripture with me this morning, the dominant way that God relates to people is in a loving fashion. Now, there's many words for love in the Scripture. This, this Greek word is the word agape, and, it's, and I want you to picture it this way. Agape is the God kind of love, but if you can imagine the sunlight coming from the sun to us. I mean, you wake up in the morning and it's dark outside, the sun comes up and light comes to you. Uh, if it's cold outside and the sun comes up, the warmth comes to you as well. Well, in the same way, God's love is God's goodness, it's God's kindness, it's God's compassion, it's God's mercy, it's God's favor, uh, it's God's forgiveness that's coming to us just like sunlight. And that is the dominant nature of God's character, God's personality, the way that He relates to people. Now, I want to suggest to you, this was going to be a, 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 kind of a two-part message. God is love, and just like a coin, but on the flip side, God is just. And we tend to err if we only see God as a loving God, uh, and how could a loving God send anybody to hell? But on the flip side, if you just see God as the just God, the obedience and the holiness of God, then God's there with a fly swatter ready to smack you. Now, how many know both have elements of truth, just like a coin? If this coin, if we were in a sports match, it's got a heads and a tails, we'd, eat, we'd pick which side we want, and we could receive or kick off if we won the toss. But if a coin doesn't have two sides to it, it's an illegitimate coin. It is not a proper, uh, it's, it's not legitimate currency in America. And in the same way, if you only view God as a loving God without being a just God, 
And His justice stems from His holiness in response to our sin. I want you to think about this. Sin is kind of sandwiched in the middle between the love of God and the holiness and justice of God. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin are the things that we've done, thought, and said that were wrong. And it's an offense to a holy God. But the love of God reached out to us. Remember John 3.16, for God so yeah, loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. But in the same way there's everlasting de- life, there's everlasting death or there's a punishment. God is a just God. Well, next week we'll talk about that. We'll talk about God's holiness and we'll talk about uh, how we respond in the fear of the Lord. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. But this morning, the title of the message is God is Love. And I'm going to look at two passages of Scripture. We're going to look at an Old Testament passage, Psalm 103, and then we're going to go to a parable in the New Testament that convey this to us. And I want you to begin in Psalm 103. And as again, I want to talk to you about the dominant nature of God, is that God would love us. And I want you to think as you're listening to this message this morning, love is best understood in my life when I understand when I do wrong how I'm treated. We live in a world that, that all of us do things that are wrong. And all of us know there's a cry for justice, but there's also a cry for mercy. And the first cry that stems from the heart of God is this cry of love and mercy. Psalm 103, verse 7. It's about six verses. I'm going to read them one at a time and we'll comment on them. But Psalm 103, verse 7, David writes, He, God, made known His ways to Moses and His acts to the people of Israel. Now this passage, the very next verse, is going to, Ill- is going to be God's words that describe Himself. It is, the, it is the, uh, the, probably the most repeated theme in the Old Testament about about who God is. It's quoted not only by David, it happened to Moses. Nehemiah talks about it. Other of the prophets speak about the God of love. But I want you to think about when God said this next verse. Actually, let me read it, and then I'll tell you when he said it. It's verse 8, and they're going to leave it up a while. But verse 8, it says, The Lord is, and I want you to say this with me, He is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love. Now leave that up just a minute because it's important to understand when God said this. God said this to Moses at the second giving of the Ten Commandments. You know the first time, of course, God in His love, you remember He delivered the children of Israel from Egypt and He was taking them to a promised land. It's a picture of what God's doing for us, taking us out of the world, the world where sin is stained and a promise of heaven and eternal life. Well, when, as, when they were on their journey, God would supernaturally feed them and give them clothes and water and all these things. And lo and behold, when Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, to get the Ten Commandments, you know what these crazy Israelites started doing? <laughs> they started worshiping an idol. They made a golden calf and they said, this is our God. We want to go back to Egypt. We were happier away from God. One of the greatest affronts to God that they could do. Rather than saying, thank you for God's kindness, they said, we don't want you. Now, when sin comes in the world, how many know that there's a consequence, there's a judgment? And what happened is many of the Israelites, a plague broke out because of their sin. God's justice came in, and many, many lost their lives. Well, then Moses went up to the mountain the second time, and he took these two tablets of stone, and God wrote on them. And this is what God said about himself when this happened. The first thing God said, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, and I'm abounding in steadfast love. He didn't say that sin doesn't matter because it does, but he said, the first thing you need to understand about me is I'm a loving God and I'm going to give you another chance. And I want you to hear that this morning because I want to speak into those parts of your life that you're ashamed of, those things that you struggle with, 
And I've got them just like you. You may see a guy in a sports coat, but I see the guy as I really am. I look in the mirror. I know things that I shouldn't do, but I do them. Come on. Come on, you're being a little religious on me this morning. We all have things, but I want you to understand the way your Heavenly Father feels about you first and foremost. He's a loving God. He feels the same way towards you as the mother that today is going to go down to the bi-state or going to go to FCI and visit her son that's in prison. She doesn't like the fact that he's in there. She's ashamed of it. She's embarrassed of it. What he did hurt him and hurt their family. But she loves that kid no matter what. Come on. Because he is her son. And this is where I want to speak to your heart this morning about the nature of our God. Keep that scripture up there. And I want to talk about these words again. When it says, the Lord is merciful. What that means is, mercy means God is compassionate. God has pity for sinners. He is reluctant to punish sin. I don't know what you did last night, but perhaps you were with a large crowd of people and you partied last night. Maybe you, maybe you who knows what might have happened. I used to live that life. Uh, life is pretty tough out there. Maybe you're in the middle of an affair. Maybe someone, lots of folks are in the middle of an affair. Maybe you hurt somebody. A lot of drugs were sold in Texarkana last night. Things are happening in the world. And I want to tell you, though God cares very much about what's going on, ultimately God loves every person. Come on, God loves the person that's sitting in front of the jury this week. God loves the person that's sitting in the back of the police car. Their sin has consequences, but the thoughts and the feelings of our Heavenly Father are first feelings of mercy, which is compassion, pity to sinners, reluctant to punish sin. This next word, gracious, it means that God is kind, that God is willing to forgive, that God is willing to give us blessings we've not earned. This morning there was a picture in the paper of a woman who uh, uh, tried to hire somebody to kill her husband. Ladies, be warned now. I think she got 30 years for that. Uh, yesterday there was a picture of a man in the paper that had molested, sexually molested, to 11 and a 12-year-old girl. He got probably what amounts to a life sentence. A horrible crime. But listen, friends, God is willing to extend to those folks, come on, more than just jailhouse religion, God is willing to extend grace and offer forgiveness. Now, you still do the time for the crime, but I'm telling you, with God, God can wash away our sins. God is first and foremost a loving and a gracious God. He is slow to anger. Slow to anger, which means not quick to judge. If you look at our nation, I wonder sometimes, why is God kind to America? We live in a nation today where basically we've told God that we don't want to tell our children about you in our schools. We don't want our children to pray to you. We don't want to celebrate your birth at Christmas time. We still want the winter holiday, but we don't want anything to do with you. As a matter of fact, we'll go so far as to remove Christmas trees because people might think that has something to do with Christ. It doesn't. We're going to remove the colors of red and green in some schools because that might somehow remind people. I think if I was God sometimes, I'd just smack us. We have erased all sexual boundaries. When the Bible says that God created a man and a woman and He joined them in marriage, as a nation we've said we don't care about that. We don't care about adultery. We don't care about the unborn and abortion and murder and all these things. But somehow God is still kind to America. And as our federal government keeps printing money and making money and just kind of making the world happen without God, can I tell you, one day God is going to come to an end of it, but right now God is slow to anger. Can you say thank God that God is slow to anger? 
And He does it, friends, for the same reason He did it when you and I were living a crazy life. Come on, when we were in rebellion against God, because His nature is first to be merciful and gracious, to be kind and loving, because He loves us. Come on, give Him a big hand this morning. This phrase about who God is repeated often in the Old Testament about the nature of God. But David keeps going in verse 9. It says, God will not always chide us, nor will He keep His anger forever, which simply means God won't always accuse us. It's a picture of a court and someone found guilty. It's referring, I believe, to God's discipline. How many know God loves those, uh, disciplines those that He loves? Just like you tried to keep your child out of the street or away from the bad crowd and you would discipline them, you take their phone away, and whatever the case may be. God will discipline us, but this verse tells us it won't last forever. The disciplines won't last forever because God is a loving God. And verse 10 says He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't give us what we deserve. I'm telling you, God is a good and a kind and a merciful God. He looks down on us sometimes in our foolishness. And God expresses this through Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, He not only, when we say He bore our sins, He bore the punishment for our sins. He bore the wrath of God against the sin that had separated man from God. That's why He doesn't impart that sin to us. You see, He doesn't deal with us the way that we deserve. And verse 11 is staggering to me. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love to those who fear Him. I want you to notice, the Bible doesn't say that God's steadfast love is towards everybody. Who's it towards? Now, clearly, Scripture, for God so loved the world. The world is not the planet, but it's entire humanity. God loves everybody. And He wants everybody to have a happy life. He wants everybody to find His forgiveness. But if in the love of God people reject it, and their sin will cause the justice of God to be loosed in their life, listen, that's choices that we make. But God, for those that fear Him, those that respect Him, those that honor Him, God says, I'll never stop loving you. I love you when you make mistakes. I love you in the middle of your struggles. I love you when you are not living the way you should be. Come on, I'm preaching a little better than you're amening this morning. Listen, God, God loves you even though that you went through a terrible divorce. God loves you. God loves you even though that you had abused someone and nobody knows but you and that person. I'm telling you, friend, God loves you. God loves you when you stole and you didn't tell anybody and you just kind of lied about it when you were on the witness stand. I'm telling you, God loves you. Is He pleased? No. But He loves you. The Bible says in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's this great tension in the Christian life. If, if all you want to see is the God of love, it's loosey-goosey, and you say, well, it doesn't matter how we live because God is gracious and He's kind. Well, uh, that's true. But He's also not willing to just smack you in Christian legalism. Come on, for everything. It's His love and it's His justice that meet in the middle. Come on. And how many know we need them both in our lives? But that phrase that said God's love is as high as it from the earth is to the highest heaven. What do you think about this? How far is anyone know from San Francisco to New York? It's about 3,000 miles. 3,000 miles across America, a long ways. Now we're talking about, let's use it as a reference point for how much God loves us. You know how far it is from the earth to the sun? 93 million miles. 
93 million miles. Now think about it. The Scripture says God's love for you and God's love for me is so great that He loves me as high as the earth is to the heavens. You know how far the farthest star that astronomers have been able to, uh, to see? This farthest star away from us is, listen, 1.3 billion light years. This doesn't mean much to us, but one light year is a thousand trillion miles. A thousand trillion miles, and God's love to this farthest star is 1.3 billion light years. It is beyond comprehension. God loves us so much, my friends. And God's love is best understood in the context of our fallenness and our mistakes. And I want to speak to you this morning because I know many of us live under condemnation. If you've walked with God any length of time, you know the right thing to do. If you have anything left of a conscience, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. But yet we still find ourselves doing wrong. Come on. And what happens, two things happens when we do wrong. One is conviction and then it's ugly cousin condemnation. Let me tell you the difference. Conviction comes from God and the Holy Spirit. And conviction will always point you to the cross. Conviction will always say what you did was wrong against a holy God. But God wants you to turn from your sin and He offers you forgiveness. Now that's what conviction does. And do you realize God doesn't want us to come to Him when we get our act together? God wants us to come just like we are. There's a lot of people that won't come to church when they're in the middle of a struggle. You see, Satan is one because of condemnation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest atoning for our sins. So we're to run to Him, to the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Right in the middle of our struggle, we're to run to God. See, conviction pulls us to the cross and getting back right with God. But here's what condemnation does, and most of us know it. Condemnation just beats us up. Condemnation just says you're a dog and you're bad and you're not worth anything. You should never be doing anything in church. Come on, you're not even worthy to go to church because of the way you're living. God won't listen to your prayer because of the way you're living. Can I tell you, friends, Satan is harassing some of you. And I want to tell you this morning that your sin matters, but a loving God is there with open arms waiting for you to run to Him in the middle of your sin. Listen, I've got things just like you. I had something that I did in my, child, in my teenage years that... I was so ashamed of, I never told a living being for 20 years. And I'm not going to tell you what it is today, but it was just something that I just thought was just absolutely unforgivable. And I carried that shame for 20 years. And I'm telling you, the, the, the God of love not only knows about it, but He loves you in spite of it. And I'm telling you, if you'll just open your heart this morning and receive the love of your Heavenly Father, it'll absolutely revolutionize your life. Give Him a good hand this morning. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins to us. Now, what does that mean? As far as the east is from the west, it's an infinite number. In other words, here's the way the scripture would suggest to us. How many know when you erase something on your computer and you move it to the trash bin, it's still there? And you can pull it out of the trash bin later on. And that's kind of what we do when we make a mistake and when we go to God. You know what the right thing to do with your sin? Hear me. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Proverbs 28, it says this. It says, He who conceals or hides or covers up his sin will not prosper. But if you confess it and forsake it, you'll find mercy. 
But what we do is we send it to the trash bin and it comes back and we still remember it. So we want to bring ourselves justice and somehow punish ourselves. But God still has an old-timey chalkboard. And when your sin is recorded on the chalkboard and you ask for forgiveness, what happens to it? It's erased. And you cannot go, come on now, once it's erased, you can't find it again. It has ceased to exist. And that's the power of the blood of Christ is to separate you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. So that when you stand before God, you don't stand before God as someone full of spots and blemishes because of your unrighteousness. You stand there because of the blood of Jesus Christ, come on, that has forgiven my sin, that has washed my sin away, that has taken my sin away. That is why that this is the uniqueness of the Christian religion. Christian religion is not just goods and bads and rules and laws and more right than more wrong. Jesus, only Jesus can erase sins from our lives because only Jesus met God's perfect standard for forgiveness, a perfect sacrifice that washes our sins away. Well, the Scripture goes on many other words. Next week we're going to pick this up and we're going to talk about the justice of God and the fear of God. It is the love of God that draws me to Him, but it is also the fear of God that keeps me on the right path. It is the fear of God uh, that I live with because I know the justice of God is real. We'll follow up on that next week, but I want to go to the New Testament the last few minutes. Luke chapter 15. And again, for me to best understand God's love, I've got to understand it in the midst of my mistakes. Because when somebody treats me right, it's easy to love them back. I mean, when you've got your BFF bracelets on, come on, and you're both happy and, and everything is great, but when something happens and you jerk that bracelet off, that's a whole different matter. I mean, it's easy to be in love when you're on your honeymoon and on a cruise. It's hard when you've caught your husband looking at pornography. It's easy to love your spouse when everybody's healthy and got money. Let me tell you, it's a little more difficult when your spouse has cancer. Why is that? Well, because I'm selfish. You're not, are you? You see, love faces disappointment. Love faces things that you wish were different. Love faces affairs. Love faces, come on, pornography. Love faces a jail sentence. Love faces harsh words. Love faces sometimes physical abuse. And then what do we do? This is a parallel to what God does towards us. Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a parable how God relates to people who do wrong. In this parable, he starts out Luke 15, and he'll tell three... A parable is a story. It takes something that goes on in the world around us, and it relates it to spiritual truth. Well, in this story, God is looking for three things that are lost. He's looking for lost sheep, which are people, lost coins, which are people, and then he's looking for a lost son. And that's the one we're going to look at. Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus very much cares about the drug dealer. He very much cares about the prostitute. He very much cares about the meth addict. He cares about all people. Sometimes when we get in a religious world and we know how we should behave, we sometimes feel like we're a little better than other people. But the broken people in life heard Jesus and he spoke to them. The religious Pharisees, verse 2, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complained that he was associating with such sinful people. We forget sometimes that God came into the world to save sinners. And until people get free through Christ, they do stupid things. Verse 11, 
Jesus told him this story. Now, in this story, there's three characters. There's a father who represents our heavenly father. And then there's two kids. There's the older son who represented the Jews and a younger son who represented someone that was lost from God. That's the one we're going to focus on. Jesus told this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. In other words, Dad, I'm not going to wait till you die to get what you know, you'd give me through the will. I'd like to have it now. Now, under Jewish law, there was a provision for that. It would often happen when, when the dad was incapacitated, but in, in some cases, it would happen as now. In other words, dad's still working. And I want you to imagine that dad a, a, is a wealthy businessman. Dad's got lots of money. Dad has a nice brand new pickup truck. What kind do you think he had? Dad had a Toyota truck, four-wheel drive. Dad had a lot of money in the bank. Dad had a million-dollar line of credit. Dad had a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank account. Dad was well off. Dad not only had things, but Dad had a reputation. Well, the younger son came up to him, and notice what he said, verse, I want my share of the money. And the father agreed, which is a picture of God allowing us to do stupid things anyway to help us realize how good God is and why we need to come back to Him. The father agreed. Well, a few days later, the younger son moved, uh, went to uh, a distant land and he wasted all his money in wild living. Here's what, the, here's what this, this example would be. The son still had the company credit card, so he called the biggest limo service in Dallas. And he had three stretch limos come to Texarkana, filled with girls and booze and pot and everything else. Uh, filled with all the music that he wanted, hooked right into his iPod, and he got all his friends in the cars with him, and they went to Las Vegas. They went to the biggest casino in Las Vegas. They rented the entire top floor. They were high rollers until the money ran out. You see, Dad saw, he would hear on Facebook, the son would post on Facebook the pictures of what he was doing with Dad's money. Dad went into work on, on Tuesday morning, and the banker calls him and said, uh, uh, Charles, your, your account's overdrawn. He said, what do you mean it's overdrawn? We've got $200,000 I just reconciled last week. And, and the line of credit, that pushes me up to a million too. He said, look, I'm sorry, but your son drew out uh, $1.1 million. And there's nothing left. So that's kind of maybe what dad would feel. The money ran out, a famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So a local farmer hired him. The young man was so hungry, he even ate the pods, carob pods. They were like these, these, these seed pods that grew in an evergreen tree. He was feeding the pigs, and they looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Here's a picture. The worst thing a Jewish person could do would be to, to uh, 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 feed pigs. They were unclean animals. I don't know what you, your picture of your worst job is, but I think the guy that cleans out septic tanks and does plumbing should make the most money of anybody in America. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean whatever that job is, it's just kind of, you would, just would not want to do. This boy was having to do that, and he was in a tough spot. But I want you to see verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. I want you to hear me because you may be in this spot today. Maybe you have gotten away from God and you've realized that that life is just not working the things you tried to make your happy, yourself happy with, relationships, drugs, education, money, things, dress, clothes, school, none of that tends to work anymore. And you finally come to yourself and you realize what's missing is God. He comes to his senses and he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare and I'm dying of hunger. 
So he returned home to his father. Now here's a picture of how Heavenly Father relates to us as his children. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. So dad called the police. So dad contacted the hitman. So dad told the big brother to go beat his brother up. That's what he deserved. But remember how God revealed himself to Moses? What's the first thing God said? I'm merciful. I'm compassionate. So the father saw him coming, which means he was looking for him. And can I tell you this? God is looking for you and he's looking for me when we're doing something stupid. When you're running out towards the affair, God is looking for you to come back. He's not happy in the affair. He knows the pain it's going to cause, but he's looking for you to come back. One of the biggest smiles I bet's on God's face. Come on, when the drug addict says, God, please forgive me, I've destroyed my life. One of the biggest smiles that can come on God's face when someone in an orange jumpsuit is saying not only sorry to the sheriff and everybody else, but looks to heaven and says, God, what I've done is wrong. Come on, would you forgive me? And here's what I want you to know. Your heavenly father always says yes. He runs to his son, he embraces him, and he kisses him. And his son said to his father, Father, I have sinned. Now, this is huge. If you want to restore relationship with God, here's the starting place, is to admit we've done wrong. That's what It was my sin and yours that put Christ on the cross. Hence, we confess our sins to God. I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. You know what, what he said? It was true and right. That's exactly what justice called for. But notice the merciful God. His father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and he's now returned to life. He was. And now he's. And that's exactly what God is looking for. We that were lost to be found. That's what it means is the starting place of a Christian to become a Christian is receiving Christ as your Savior. And when a Christian gets off track, we come back to God. Now, let me give you a few lessons from this story. Here's the first one, is God is our Heavenly Father. Remember in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught us how to pray? He said, say this, our Father who is in heaven. Now, if you had a good dad growing up, not just a biological, uh, biological, you know, Whatever. But if you had a good dad, you'll, you'll resonate with this. If you are a good dad, you'll resonate. If you didn't have it, I want you to think about the dad that you wish you had. Let me kind of illustrate. I really love my kids, and I would say three of the most happiest days of my life were when my children were born. I remember the first time I held the, my kids in my arms, my first time I held little Rebecca in my arms, you know, how I loved her and how I cared about her. Today, if you tried to hurt her, I would protect her. Today, any, anything that she wants, she knows not to ask mom all the time. If she'll ask that, you know what I'm saying? Anything that you can afford and a little bit extra, why do you do that? Because you love them. Listen, when she hurts and when she cries, I cry. Remember when you took your baby to get shots and they cried? Well, I don't remember that because my wife did that. But, but, but when they hurt, you hurt. When they're, listen, I, I send my kids a text every day. And just tell them that I love you and I long to hear their voice and long to see when their car drives up in the driveway. And I'm an earthly father. Can I tell you these same kind of feelings your heavenly father feels towards you? When you endeavor to serve him and you make right choices, God is every bit as proud of you. You put a smile on your heavenly father's face.
Your Heavenly Father looks out for you in times when you don't even know that He's looking out for you. He cares about you. He wants to protect you in your life. He is a loving Father. And I'm telling you, relationship with God surpasses religion, come on, to the nth degree. And that's what Christianity is all about, a relationship with the loving God. Come on, give Him another good hand today. Let me give you a couple more things that are pretty obvious but, but need to be said. God wants relationship with us, even when we rebel. This boy had gone off to a far country to do his own thing. He was in rebellion against his father, but dad looked for him to come back. God wants relationship with you. Hear me today. If you're the type of person that when you're in your downtime and you feel like you need to hide and run away, please don't do that. Because God wants relationship with you. He wants you to talk to Him, come on, after you've lit the joint. I don't mean He approves of it. But what I'm saying is, He wants you to reach out to Him, come on, when the pornography is on the computer. Not for His approval, not to say He understands, but He wants you to reach out to Him in the middle of your struggle, just like this boy did. Listen, he wants relationship. Number three, God is more eager to forgive us than he is to judge us. Will God judge us? Yes. Will God discipline us? Yes. We'll look at that other coin next week. But I'm telling you, God would rather forgive you than judge you. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? He said, Father, the people that hung him on the cross. And obviously, when we make the first move back to God... God runs to us. When you turn your heart back to God, I'm telling you, God will meet you. He will never push you away. Let me, let me kind of wrap up with, with these thoughts. You know, God's lo God loves us enough to let us experience the consequences for our sin. He didn't try to stop this young boy when he was running out. And how many know the all-powerful God could do it? God's given us free will. God wants us to, He lets us get out there and then we're disciplined, come on, when there's nothing to eat in the famine because He wants us to understand how good God's ways really are. And that's what discipline's about. Let me, let me close with this, uh, with this thought. John chapter 14, how do we respond to God's love? In other words, if God is as good as, as, as you know, I've told you this morning, how should I respond to it? Well, let me, if I could draw this parallel. How do you respond when somebody does something kind to you? How do you respond when somebody gives you a gift? What do you do? You say, thank you. I mean, it could be something as innocent. Yesterday, I, day before yesterday, I was driving down the road, and uh, down 59, and I realized, oh, they're paving the interstate over here, so I need to get off on Richmond. The only problem is there was a car pretty close. Now, how many know that we don't have the, the kindest drivers, come on, in Texarkana? I mean, it's like a speedway sometimes out there. And they'll wave at you, all right, with their middle finger, you know, when you... Well, anyway, I just, I kind of waved and I got in. And as soon as they, they let me in, I put my hand up and I said, thank you. You remember in graduation time, I remember I got some graduation gifts from high school. And for three months, my mother literally had to harass me until I finally wrote the thank you cards. It's just what you do when somebody does something kind to you. So how do you say thank you to God for His love for you? Let me tell you, it's very clear. John's Gospel says this. Jesus said these words. He said, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then he goes on in 1 John, he says, and my commandments won't be burdensome or grievous to you. 
Now, what does that mean? That means that if I love God, I'll do what He wants me to do to make Him happy. And it won't be because I have to. It'll be because I want to. Ladies, let me ask you, how many ladies don't really care much about sports and you don't care much about outdoors and hunting, but you'll watch ESPN or the Hunting Channel with your husband every once in a while? Let me see your hand out there. And, and why do you do that? Is it because he's got a stick and he's going to beat you? No. It's because you love him. Guys, how many of you would rather take a beating than go shopping? But you will even go clothes shopping with your wife because you love her. Come on, let me see your hand here. Now, now he's not saying he wants to, ma'am, but, but, but let me tell you, when, when, when his arm is twisted and he says, Uncle, no. We do things like this because we love people. And can I suggest to you, the way to show your love for God is to just do what God asks you to do. See, I don't, I don't do the things I do because they always make me feel good or there's a promise of some reward. I do it because God has been so good to me. Come on, He's worthy of our praise. Give Him a big hand this morning. I want to pray with you. I want you to just bow your heads with me this morning. And I want you to just kind of ask the question, Lord, what are you saying to me in this message? Because I bet the Holy Spirit's talking to a lot of us. For some of us, when we were t I was talking about those dark parts of our life where there's shame, maybe today God wants to bring you out of the shadows and He wants you to receive the love of God in your heart. Maybe God wants to take shame off your shoulders and condemnation. Maybe He wants you to receive the freedom that comes for forgiveness for every wrong you've ever done in your life. Maybe today you can lift up your head before God, not in shame, but because God loves you in spite of the way you are. He loves you. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you're here today, and when I talked about loving God back, the part of obedience, maybe that's kind of a new concept to you. But maybe today you want to simply say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want you to change my heart. Make me into the person you want me to be. Make me into the man, the woman, the young man, the young girl you want me to be. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would give us all a revelation of your love for us. If it's as high as the heavens are above the earth, give me some inkling of what it means to be 13 billion light years away. And that's how much you love me. I want you to just reach your heart out to heaven. Just receive from your Father this morning. Say, Lord, help me. Show me your love. Let me understand it. For many of you this morning, you're asking God to move you from religion to a real relationship with a, a loving Father. Some of you have never known the love of a Father. God has that for you. He's not first a God to be served. He's first a God to be loved. We welcome you today. I want to offer another prayer, and I want to read a scripture to you. This morning, I've, I've tried to tell you all morning long, God is love, but He wants us to love Him. See, God longs for fellowship. 1 John 4, it says this, This is how God showed His love to us. He sent His one and only Son into the world so we could have life through Him. And I want you to say this last phrase with me. This 
is what real love is. He sent His Son to die in our place to take away our sins. This is what real love is. God loved Adam and Eve and He loves us, but sin came into the world. And sin required justice. But God in His mercy said, I'm going to provide a way out so they don't have to experience the justice for sin so that they can have the mercy of God by believing in Christ. Let me tell you a little bit of my own story. Because I believe there's many that are here today that today is a day that you'll begin your journey with Jesus Christ. Today is a day for many that you'll surrender your life to Christ. When I was a young man, I was raised in church. Thank God for it. Mom made me go, but it didn't do much good. I just kind of lived under the assumption that you had to be more good than bad and good people went to heaven. And uh, whenever I got in trouble, I'd call out to God. See, that's the way most people live. I can remember when I was 19, I was, uh, had been out and I had been partying with some friends and I had no business driving a car. But coming home, the road was flooded. It was Highway 51. It was a river bottom. And it was so much water, the water was about that far from coming over the edge. And I knew good and well that if you drove your car off that thing, you're not coming out. I can remember pulling the car off the side of the road and saying, God, would you please help me get home? I got across that bridge, and psychologically or emotionally, I just put God back on the shelf. I just kind of waved at him and said, whew, thanks. Got home, put on Fleetwood Mac, right back into my own world. Because when I needed God, I took him up, and then when I was done with him, I put him back. And then I, someone told me that I could have a personal relationship with God. It was a Gideon. The time of my life where I was trying to find happiness in a lot of different things. I didn't find it on a scholarship at college. I didn't find it with the people I dated. I didn't find it with alcohol and drugs and all those other things that people are searching for. Education didn't give me identity. The social people, none of that was satisfying. It's like there was a hole in the bottom of a bucket. And I'd put water in it and it would drip out. And the next day I'd have to put it in again. And this guy told me in essence that Jesus Christ could plug up that hole. That he was what was missing in my life. For the first time in my life, see I knew John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Not just heaven, but abundant life. That's what I was looking for. You know, to believe in Jesus, though, is not just to have knowledge about Jesus in your head. It's to allow Him to change your life. Uh, there was a tightrope uh, walker recently. Where did he walk across? Was it the Grand Canyon or... Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Well, there's a story many years ago that the guy did the same thing in Niagara Falls. Walked across there, and of course the crowd went crazy. And then they asked the crowd, he said, who believes I could do it again? And then everybody said, yeah, I do, we just saw you. He said, great, come get on my shoulders. Well, that's a different story. That's where real belief is. Real belief is a decision to follow. Come on, real belief is transformational and maybe you're here today, and what you need is a real belief in Christ. Today, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's the starting point. One other scripture in the back of that little Gideon's Bible said this. I'd never known this as a boy. It said, to many as received him, Jesus, to those he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God, even to those who would believe in his name. I didn't know I had to receive salvation as a gift. I thought it was just kind of up here in the mind. But I'm telling you, when I... August 15, 1976, surrendered my life to Christ. Asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, forgive me and save me. Something radically happened in my world. Somehow God's Holy Spirit came to be a part of my life. And I put my heart to Christ. And I've never been the same. 
I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is what's missing in life. And Jesus Christ is the, is the epitome of God's love for people. The only way that we can save us from our sins. And I wonder if you're here today, and I've taken time today just for those of you that are in a place where you need to commit your life to Christ. You need to make a step to Christ. You need to receive Christ's forgiveness. But surrender your life to Him. Receive His love and give Him yours. And if you're here today and say, Pastor John, I want to give my life to Christ today. For some it may be the first time. For others, you might have gotten away from God. But you feel His love drawing you back to Him today. We'd be honored to pray with you. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ and get right with God. Lift your hands real quickly and say, pray for me. Lift your hand real quickly. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life. God bless you, dear. Somebody else, say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with Christ today. I want to invite Jesus. Some, someone over here, I missed your hand. They pointed. Give them a hand over here. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else, say, pray for me today. I want to give Christ my life today and have Him be the center of my world. Why don't you stand to your feet? And I'm going to ask that you that lifted your hands for prayer, give them one more hand as they come down. We're going to have our prayer team just meet them right here. And we just want to make an offer to you today one last time. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, we just want to invite you to come down. You that lifted your hands, come let us pray for you. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, you come and you let us pray. God bless you. I love you very much. We'll have one more song and then you'll be dismissed.